Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. morning, everybody. I am glad you're here. I hope you are glad to be here. My name is Will. I am one of the staff pastors here. Brad is not with us this morning. He is in California on vacation getting a break from you all. And so that is a good thing. I'm kidding. Uh, he, he loves what he does. But do think about praying for him. I say this every time I preach, but none of you ever take, take it seriously. It doesn't matter how many times you compliment me wearing a tie. It is not going to stick, Okay. Every time, oh, I see you're wearing the tie. It looked really good. Daniel's like, where's your shirt with holes, man? And I'm like, I should have broken it out because Brad isn't here anyway. It's not like he's going to halt the thing. And I was thinking about it. Really, I don't do this for y'all. Don't feel too special about the tie. This is not for you. It's also not even for the Lord. The Lord loved me when I was far dirtier than this. It's ultimately for my wife. That's really how this plays out. Because... I know that this pleases her, and when when that happens, things go well for me. And if I may allude to the scripture we're pushing into, we're about to have a 99-year-old man be commanded by God to keep the flames of his marriage burning. So I will take advice from that as well, and occasionally I will throw the tie on. We will be in Genesis chapter 18 today. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one out of the chair in front of you. It should be on either page 10 or page 12, depending on which version of that Bible you have. Now, our text, before I pray, let me, let me just say this. Our text starts with the word and. Some of you may already be looking at it. Genesis 18.1 says, And the Lord appeared. However, and is a horrible way to start a story. If you are walking up to a group of friends, and as you walk up, you hear one of them say, And that's why I stopped eating horse meat. You immediately say, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up. Give me some context here. Okay? I just walked in, but I need to know what was happening before this. So let me give you the 30-second synopsis on where we are to land us in Genesis chapter 18. In Genesis chapter 17, Abram, at 99 years old, is renamed Abraham. His wife, Sarai, is renamed Sarah. They are given a new name. It is recommitted to him that a new nation is going to come from him. A nation after God's own heart, his own people, I, I believe, The prophet Micah says, a people of his own treasured possession. And then he also mentions that there will be a new child who later we will find is Isaac. So so that kind of gets us here. All of that is sealed. I'm just curious. I never do show of hands, but um, who was here last week? How many of you guys were here last week? Just, okay. For those of you who didn't come last week because you looked at the text and you're like, circumcision, no thanks. I'll skip that one and come in Genesis 18. And for those of you last week who were like, okay, we can get through this. All right, we go to a church that preaches through the Bible. I get that. We'll get through it and we'll show up in Genesis 18. I have very good news for you. We will again be talking about circumcision. And I'm going to toss in a little bit about menopause. All right? So lots of fun stuff. Get excited. There is, there is nothing about getting in God's word that shouldn't occasionally make us feel awkward. We are sinful, broken, jacked up people. That is a holy God. We shouldn't walk up and be all super comfy, all right? And so, and so that's what we are going to be looking at this morning. I've got a couple of questions for us to think about and, and, and a couple of points. But what I want you to notice is this, and I, I may not mention it again in a big way. As we work through this text, and this is my prayer that I'm going to pray for us in just a minute. Notice the intimacy that God desires with his people. Notice the intimacy and the great lengths at which God goes to be intimately related with his people. Psalms 139 alludes to this in a big way. God is not just able to have a relationship with us. And he's not just willing to have a relationship with us. God wants to have a relationship with his people. It's not a begrudging thing. Nobody's twisting God's arm. God's not frustrated that he made a promise that he was going to bring redemption to his son so that he could have a people after his own possession, a people who love him. This isn't a begrudging thing for God. And so as we see this intimacy between Abraham and the Lord, it should cause us to look at our own hearts. And I don't know what happens, and maybe it's just me, but I feel like when, when we get older, that intimacy becomes more difficult. 
I know some of you are thinking, Will, you're not old. And you're right, I'm not old. But I do know this. When I was younger, it seemed easier. When, when I, that's one of the things I love about working with teenagers. The, the way that they talk about their relationship with God is incredible. And, and maybe it has to do with the childlike faith. And maybe it has to do with not walking through this sin-saturated world as long. Or just becoming cool with the sins that we become cool with in our own lives. But for whatever reason, there's an incredible intimacy that I think sometimes we can miss out on because maybe we've been walking with the Lord for a long time and we think we've got it figured out. So with new heart and new eyes and a new mind, I hope that's how we'll jump into Genesis 18. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Certainly we want to lift up Brad and Jennifer and the family and ask that this week away would be a blessing to them, that it would be restful to them. Father, that you would recharge his heart and the heart of their family for gospel ministry in this city. And Father, I pray for us as well. It it is a holiday weekend and and we have been just spending time in in probably great leisure. Father, as, as we get into your word, May this not be something that is common to us. May this be something where we engage our hearts and our minds and our soul with all of our strength to seek out a God who greatly desires to seek us out. Thank you that it is not completely on us and our energy, the amount of sleep we had, whether or not we've had our coffee today or anything else. What matters is there is a God who is reaching down to his people. May we be a people who is reaching up to our God. Father, as we open up this text and we see the way that you intimately love your people, may it refresh and renew our own hearts. May we become a people who want to hear the word of the Lord, who want to spend time fellowshipping with our Lord. May we be encouraged this morning. And if there are any who do not have a relationship with you, Father, may they see the incredible truth of your gospel. May they see the cross. And may it draw them through your grace to a relationship with your son. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 18. I'm going to cut this up into three blocks because it's a chunk of scripture. And I have kids in the same rooms as you do. And my stomach gets hungry at about the same time as yours does. And I skipped breakfast this morning, so you're even better off. But I'm going to break up this large chunk of scripture into three different pieces. The first is going to be when the Lord, as well as two angels, come and talk to Abraham. Then on part two, Sarah is going to be a part of the conversation. And then on part three, we see Abraham really have a very open and honest conversation with just he and the Lord. So if you would, everybody, Genesis chapter 18, verse 1, and don't lose the story. We, we can become a people who read through God's word and get to the end and say, what, do, what did I just read? Allow the story to hit your heart. And the Lord appeared to him, being Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. The sun is scorching down upon him, and he has put his tent next to a tree, because that makes sense. And he's sitting on the outside of his tent in the shade. He lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant." Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And then Abraham ran to the herd and he took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, the three visitors. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. My first question for you, for us, is this. How far will God go to be in a relationship with us? How far is God willing to go? Now, it's very interesting here that the text says the Lord in verse 1 because the text never exactly clarifies what exactly that means. 
Now we know that this is something special because it caused a 99-year-old dude to pop up and start running around, okay? That's, that's kind of a big deal. It was in the heat of the day. So there's something bizarre about this. The way the Bible says, and, and they appeared, makes it seem as though there was nothing and then there was something that this was an amazing or a fantastical event that had occurred. But when the Bible says the Lord, Scripture never goes and says, this is exactly what I'm referring to. I will tell you this. I think it's probably referring to Jesus himself appearing to Abraham. And there are a couple of reasons for that. Historically, the apostolic fathers viewed this Scripture this way. This is the way that the church in its early days viewed this Scripture. I, I think we could also look and notice that in verse, if you, if you kind of fast forward in verse 25, while Abraham is talking to the Lord, he refers to him as the judge of all the earth. earth. And in 1 Timothy, we see this. 1 Timothy says, uh, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by, okay, I put the wrong verse down. Now this is still 100% true. But it has absolutely nothing to do. I got nothing. Maybe it's 2 Timothy. But I'm going to get you to trust me on this. All right, devotion time tonight. Look up 2 Timothy chapter 4. See if it doesn't refer to Christ as being the one who judges the earth. All right, here we go. Let's see if this one's right. And in John chapter 8, verse 56, we read this. I'm, I'm hoping. John 8, what was it? It was 2 Timothy. Okay, 2 Timothy. Okay, there you go, 2 Timothy. Four, okay, thank you, Sarah Ann. Excellent. Off of memory, too. Incredible. All right, John chapter 8, verse 56. So why do, do I think that this is referring to Christ? Well, we have this. The, the Pharisees show up to Jesus... And Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. And so, and so in a sense, we have a few ideas, though it doesn't expressly say that who is standing before Abraham is likely to be Jesus. Now, why does that matter? Why even look into that? Well, because look at how far God is willing to go. Think about what Abraham has done to the, uh, up to this point in the book of Genesis. He just tried to pawn off his wife as his sister because he was scared of how the rulers were going to deal with him. Not only that, he goes a step further and he's faithless in two different ways. One, he's faithless to his wife by seeking to have a son through her servant. Hagar, and then secondly, he's faithless to God who says, I'm going to bring about this promise, but Abraham decides he will come about it and do it his own way. And even in his faithfulness, God shows up in a big way and in a better way over and over again. If we look in Genesis chapter 12, if you remember, that's where God speaks to Abraham. So Abraham is going about his life and God speaks to him. And if you are anything like Abraham, the word of the Lord coming to you in an audible way would be a benchmark in your spiritual life. But in three chapters later, in verse 15, God goes one step further. And he doesn't just speak to him, but he shows up as a flaming torch or as a flaming pot. There is a visual manifestation of God for Abram. But here we have something very different. The Lord walks to Abraham. He looks at him eye to eye. He speaks to him voice to voice. He has a meal with him. This is an incredibly intimate moment that God saw fit to bless Abraham with. If you remember from the text, it tells us that his feet were washed which is incredible because in the not too, too distant future, Jesus is going to show up and the Lord is not going to have his feet washed. He is going to get down on his knees and humbly wash the feet of those who did not deserve it. Do you see the progression from speaking to showing up visibly to then having a, a, a face-to-face personal 
conversation and meal to being served and then going forward. And Matthew 20, 28 tells us that Jesus didn't come to serve, but to, excuse me, to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. From here in Genesis 18, we can fast forward all the way to Christ and the New Testament and see that it is his great desire to have a relationship with you. All the way back from Genesis 18. How far will God go for his kids? He'll go to the cross and back. That's how far God will go for his kids. God wants... I, I don't know that we, we think about this. That we remember, God wants a relationship with you that is the biggest part of your life. And it is not a begrudging desire for him. God wants to be in relationship with you. But many times we are the ones who rebuff him. In fact, always we are the ones who rebuff him. I woke up yesterday a little late. I slept in. My wife allowed me to. We've had a little bit of a crazy couple of weekends. And so she was being very gracious to me and I got to sleep in and I woke up and I went and I took a bath, which for any of you who know me is a bizarre thing. I am still very much like a 17-year-old. If my hair doesn't look greasy, I feel like I'm good to go. Day three, day four, you definitely need to hit the shower. But it's not like I'm counting down the moments, you know, until I take a shower or take a bath. And so my, my wife let me sleep in, and all of a sudden she hears the water running, but it's not even the shower, it's the bath. Then she looks in there, and there are bubbles in the bath, and I'm plopped down in a bubble bath. I've just woken up. And she looks at me, and she's like, what's the deal? And I'm like... I'm just stressed. Like, I don't mean to be like the folks in TV or the movie who like draw the bath and do the bubbles and put them in. But I'm going there right now because my life just seems a little too crazy for me right now. I keep getting cold sores that are, that are like popping out on me. My heart feels like it just won't chill out for a minute. So I'm trying this whole bubble bath thing to see if it'll shake out. It didn't shake out. Because within five minutes, I had a kid with a dirty diaper rip off the dirty diaper and hop in it, thus causing me to quickly hop out, while my other son, who loves the shower, just thought, well, this will be a fun thing to do, and went and popped himself in it. And so I, I lost that opportunity, but what I was seeking is this. I wanted to have some margin in my life. We, we, I, I don't know how, how many of you guys are still typing papers and things like this. In college, the way I used to work my papers was you would you would blow the margins up, right? You got to hit eight pages, but you only got six pages of material. They know what you're doing, but if you just edge it in a little, right? They don't know. They won't notice if it's a 10.5 font, right? I mean, come on. And if you're really good, you can go into the spacing between the letters. Some of you know you had that night where you're like, I'm on page four and I need 14. I got to pull out all the stuff. Well, whatever has happened since I got out of college, I'm on the other side of things. Whenever I print something, I'm like shrinking my margins down to nothing. I'm like, how can I fit as much information onto one piece of paper as I possibly can? And that's become my life. I'm like, how can I fit as much stuff and things and life and whatever into one day, into 24 hours? How can I slam this all together? And I read Abraham sitting under a tree, drinking some pink lemonade, and I find encouragement in that. And I'll tell you why I find encouragement. Because God doesn't rebuke him. He's not like, hey, uh, Abraham, how about you start plowing a field or doing something with these 99 years I've given you? Like, it's, I, I think, in, in essence, because Abraham has this margin in his life, that he has time for God to show up. That he has time for God to show up. And he is just sitting in the heat of the day, culturally taking a nap. We have a lot of good things in our lives. But I fear that sometimes our good things are not at all God things. We can justify them away. We can say, it's good for me to do this, and it's good for me to do this, and it's good for me to do this. But I would tell you, it's good for you to sit under an oak in the shade and just find some lemonade occasionally. It's good for, I remember I was doing a discipleship group with a handful of boys. I, I don't remember what we were working through. This was a number of years ago. And, and one day I just took them outside. And I said, just sit still. Just be still with your thoughts. Just leave God's book in your lap and breathe and rest. 
because we had gotten to this point to where everything that we did was like and yet we see that God shows up when Abraham is resting. He has built margin into his life. And a lot of our good things end up becoming idle things. Spell it both ways, it's still true. I-D-O-L things or I-D-L-E things. A waste of time or a suck from our devotion to God. And so I look at this and I say, do I have margin in my life? And I don't. I, I do a really bad job of this. I'm preaching to myself. There's a great book that I finished and uh, applied none of to my life. Um, it's a book by Kevin DeYoung called Crazy Busy. And as I was working through this text this week, I was like, okay, I got to go back and check out my highlights. And so if you feel like that is you, that there's no margin in your life, I would highly recommend that book by Kevin DeYoung to you called Crazy Busy. It's incredible and it's great. And one day I'm going to apply it to my life. So let's, let, let me do this as we move on to the next little section here. Do you know why Abraham desired to serve the Lord? Look at what happens. The guy's 99 years old. And let me just read some key phrases to you. I, I, I went through and I, I marked them down all in pink. And I was like, this dude wants to serve God. And, and here's how I know it. It's in the heat of the day, but he decided to get up. And he didn't just get up, but the Bible says he ran. And when he gets there, that's not good enough. While he's huffing and, he, and he's puffing, he bows down. He refers to himself as a servant. He asks that he be able to bring them water, that he be able to have their feet washed, that they be able to rest while he runs around to get them a more of bread, which he actually turns into a fine meal. And while he's doing that, he pops his head into the tent of his wife and not with the best marital counseling advice ever says, hey, quick, make some bread and then disappears again with no explanation whatsoever. This is like caveman husband stuff. Wife, bread, now, ugh. And then he runs on. Now, I, I think we can give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because Jesus is standing outside, but Sarah's hanging out in the tent. And all she sees is his raggedy head pop in with his beard flopping down and say, quick, bread. And that's what she goes to doing. Maybe there's something in that for us as well. It goes on, it says that he went quickly. He says to her, quickly. He says to the servant, quickly. And then when everything is there, he just stands and waits. Now I ask you, what was Abraham looking for from this exchange? What was he looking for? Why did Abraham desire to serve the Lord? You see, there's no riches that's being offered here. There is no prestige that is being offered. There is no blessing that is being foretold in this moment. When we read the words of Abraham, we see this. Lord, if I found favor in your sight, don't pass by. Do you know what his reward was? Do you know what his hope was? Do you know what his purpose was? He just wanted to be with his Lord. That's all he wanted. He just wanted to stand there while he ate a meal. We don't even know if they had a conversation at this point. He just wants to watch Jesus eat. That's my reward. I get to be with you. I get to serve you. I get to be in your presence. And I fast forward to us today, and I need to beat up on us a little bit. And I feel like I can do this because the majority of the time, I'm out there and I'm not up here. So I am not speaking as one that is up here. I'm speaking as one who is sitting down there. I can't make it without checking my watch. Do you know how disheartening that is for me on a Sunday morning? That I can't, now y'all are like fighting it. You're like, oh, he's going to call me out. Yes, I will. Today, I absolutely will. But I think about the fact, all Abraham wants is to sit with the Lord. That's it. Could you imagine just sitting here in silence, but recognizing that as we have come together, as we have sought to worship God, as we have opened this book, God tells us that his presence is here. If only we would seek it. We ought to be able to show up, sit down, and have nothing up here if this thing's sitting in our laps. And leave with a smile on our face, jumping like giddy little children that we get made fun of because we are so different than the rest of the world. But we check our watches. Do you realize that in one given year, we as pastors get 75 hours with you? Yeah, well, I'm in a community group. Okay, extra star, way to go, all right? Pat on the back. 
I also come to midweek fellowship. Okay, all right, fine. But my point is, in a Sunday morning service like this, we get 75 hours in a year. Come Wednesday morning, that's the whole time. If you count from here to Wednesday morning, that's it. That's what we get in a year. And I just want to tell you, and again, from there, not from here. When we get together as, together as pastors and we read over these texts and we pray over these texts and we think about these texts, we're not trying to come up with a show for you. We're not trying to come up with something that's entertaining to you. We're saying, how can we as broken men who are seeking the Lord squeeze the absolute most potency out of the goodness of God's word for you? That's what we're doing. There is no show. God's the show. And and, and so I feel like as I'm looking at Abraham, wanting nothing except standing next to his Savior, standing next to the Lord, that I and you need to look inside and say, what am I looking for when I show up to this place where I'm seeking the presence of the Lord? Yeah. Drop down to verse 9. Now, Sarah is going to come into the picture of our story. In the first section, I encourage you to pick up kind of the frame of the story. It's the heat of the day and what's going on. On these next five verses or so, I'm going to read verses 9 to 15. I want you to start being analytical and particular, all right? As I'm reading this, I want you to be analytically working through this text with me. So they show up, he's standing next to them, and they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, and the Bible's going to say this three different ways. So these are old people, okay? We can say this. One, now Abraham and Sarah were old. In case you haven't picked it up yet, they were advanced in years. In case there is any doubt, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Has 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 the Bible made pretty clear the situation that we're dealing with here? So Sarah laughed to herself. This is not a major note, but let me just say this. Sarah's about to get blasted for laughing. And, and, and I think a lot of people are like, come on, Sarah, you got to have faith. If you, rev- if you rewind, Abraham laughed too. But there was some, something different in the way that Abraham laughed. A, kind of a joyful like, oh my gosh, seriously, Lord, this is going to happen back in chapter 17 compared to what we see happening with Sarah now. And we know that because she's about to get blasted for it. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, she's referring to Abraham, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? You should memorize this next verse, even if it's only half of it. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? If you don't walk out of this room with encouragement off of that verse, there's something wrong. I don't know what your struggle is this moment, but it is not too hard for the Lord. I don't know what your difficulty is this season, but it is not too hard for the Lord. And a week ago, when I was hanging out with a bunch of teenagers at Six Flags, and some dude or dudes pop the locks on the three of our vans and decide to steal a bunch of kids' stuff. And I say, well, great. How are we going to deal with this? The Lord smiles and says, is anything too hard for me? I can handle contact solution. Okay, well, I got that. Okay, I've given you this incredible blessing called Walmart. You didn't even know that it came from my hand. And yet here it is. They don't ever close. And they're everywhere. Just go. Find the bountiful blessings of pillows and sleeping bags and medical equipment. Whatever you may need, it's there. That's another reason I love working with students. Students are like, my stuff got stolen. Okay, that's frustrating. So what do we do now? If I put 40 of you guys in a van... 
First of all, we wouldn't make it because we'd have to stop for lunch and somebody would be like, are these plates BPA free? I'm sorry, I can't eat anything that casts a shadow, right? I, I mean, like, y'all, this is another reason why I'm in my 30s and I still love working with teenagers. I, I, I talk with Reynolds and Brad about it all the time. I'm like, I don't know how much longer I got in this gig and I'm sure eventually I'm gonna bottleneck this thing out and we're gonna need to find some 18 or 19 or 20 year old dude. But when that happens, I got no next plan because the only thing left is adults. And when it comes to adults, I can't even get them to go to a restaurant, much less read their Bibles. Like, everybody's got to eat, but this is the bread that brings, us, that brings us true life, and this is way harder. And so, that wasn't supposed to be that convicting, but y'all got real quiet there, so. <laughs> if you're convicted, then be convicted. So anyway, what is too hard for the Lord? Well, there's nothing that is too hard for the Lord. At the appointed time, I'm in verse 14, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. I love God. I love the way God deals with his people. Like the Bible tells us that Jesus came in grace and truth, right? Like that's how we're supposed to relate to other people. Like we need to be honest with them, but we got to love them. Right? And, and like, that's what we struggle with. Like, how do I be honest? But look, I love the way that the Lord just deals with this. I did not laugh. Yeah, you did. And then that's like the end of it. I, I mean, it's exactly what it says. Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, you did laugh. And then that's the end of the conversation. They move on. I mean, what do you, how do you argue with the Lord? No, really, Lord, uh, I, think, I think you misinterpreted the intention of my heart that you built. And that you designed for your plan sovereignly that I can't fully grasp. I, 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 I mean, how? I, I just, I love, I love the Lord. Notice this. Notice how quickly our hearts are prone to dismiss God. I want you to think about this. Remember, I wanted us to look at this a little bit more analytically. We need to know this. Our hearts are prone to dismiss God. The only thing that is separating Sarah from the Lord is the cloth of a tent. And you could be like, well, Will, you don't know. Maybe the tents were very thick. Maybe it was a very thick hide and she was not able. Well, it says she heard them, right? She's listening to them. And that, that little tent was all that it took to cause enough separation for Sarah to feel comfortable disregarding God. The thickness of a cloth is all that it took. You see, our hearts are prone to dismiss God. What little separation it takes for us to dismiss, discredit, or even disdain God. When we were on the retreat, we, we've been staying in the same place for a few years. We go up uh, to the Ocoee River in Tennessee. And the setup, we, we have this cabin that we go to each year. And the cabin has two sides to it. On the left-hand side, we've got the guys' rooms, two guys' rooms that are full with bunks. And on the right-hand side, we've got two girls' rooms that are full with bunks. And in the center, you've got bathrooms and like a little living area, okay, and a fridge and a microwave. That's the setup. The reason I tell you that is because every year, Karen Ann and I do the same thing. Where do I sleep whenever we go on a youth trip that have teenage guys and teenage girls that are rampant with hormones. Where does Will sleep? Right in the middle of them. That's where Will sleeps. So we literally pitch our tent in the middle of the, and it like eats up. It's super inconvenient, but a wonderful reminder. We, we throw, it's big enough for my family of five to put our blow up mattress in and comfortably sleep. Now, why do I do that? Some of you parents are like, because I wouldn't send my kid if you didn't. But some of your parents don't even know. You're just like, I'm sure he's thinking it through, right? Okay? I'm sure he's, he's thinking this through, okay? Why do I do that? Because a tent is very, very thin. And I, I can be separate. You know, I can, I can get my kids separate, and, and I can be separate. My wife can be separate. But we know what's going on on the outside of that tent. And I never wake up, but my wife does. And so when somebody starts creeping at 2 a.m., to go potty, my wife goes, hey, Will, somebody's out there. And I'm like, okay, I'm going back to sleep. <laughs> and, and, and she's like, okay, they just went to the bathroom. And I'm like, okay, 
I'm still going back to sleep. But in the event that one day some super slick dude comes out and says, hey, uh, the Lord just impressed upon me that we needed to go down the river and have a devotional time. To one of our young ladies. I can very quickly go, uh, no, he did not. No, he did not. The only thing you're devoted to is your own sin and lust. Now let's sit down, come into my tent, and let's discuss your lust issues as this sister in Christ of yours goes back to bed, okay? That's why we get in a tent, because there's separation, oh, but not too much, okay? This is what we have in our story. Sarah is listening. She knows what's going on. I'm not going to make a big point out of this, but she had to know these guys are a big deal. Abraham pops his head in, quick woman bread. What? Right? And then she hears them. Remember I told you to be analytical. They refer to Sarah by her new name. How long has she had this name? It certainly can't have been long. We're only a few verses from there. Not only that, the visitors say, where is your wife? Abraham was sitting by himself on the outside of the tent under the tree. How did they know that he had a wife, much less what her name was, much less the name that she was just recently given? These are special people. There is something divine going on. So don't give Sarah too much credit when you say, I'm sure she didn't know what was going on. She knew something was up. She was culpable of her sin of disbelief. How does this play out for you and I? Well, that very thin separation from God often leads to something much bigger. It may only be as thick in your heart as the cloaking of a tent. But when I'm counseling the young lady who says to me, I don't, by the way, I don't make up stories. Have I told you that? Like, if I tell you a story, it's real. Like, it's happened in my, in my real life. I, I'm not making these up. I think it's important for you to know. So when I'm sitting down counseling the young lady who wants to live with her boyfriend before they get married, and I say to her, that's not wise. That's not avoiding every appearance of evil. That's not living your life in light of the gospel. And she says, well, we're not sleeping together. We're just sleeping in the same room. And I reiterate, that's not wise. That's not godly. That's sinful behavior. You're seeking your own comfort rather than the, the proclamation of the gospel through your life. And she says, but it's not a problem. We're okay. Like we don't fall into lust. I immediately say, then that's a problem because you should. Do you, do, you, do you see what I'm saying? If you're not married and you're pursuing somebody, it should not be easy. It should be a fight. It should be something that you are struggling to grab the hold of the Bible and say, God, give me strength in this as I pursue your glory. But she didn't listen. And she went on. And today, their marriage is fractured. They're not divorced and they're not separated. But the intimacy that God desires with us, the intimacy that God desires for a husband to have with a wife. I was, yesterday, five hours, doesn't matter what time. Yesterday, I was performing a wedding. And I'm standing there with the bride and with the groom. And there is no doubt of their love and affection and desire for intimacy with one another. There's no doubt of it. And yet this, this young lady allowed this one separation, this sliver of sinfulness to work into her life and through it now her, her marriage is fragmented. There's no intimacy between them whatsoever. Instead, pornography has become the way that those desires are dealt with. And she knows that that's what her husband struggle, struggles with and does and she's fine with it because that's the way their marriage operates. And they miss out on incredible blessing that God has because of one sliver of sin. Don't allow it in your own life. It's that same sliver in your marriage that causes you to think about escape. It wouldn't, I mean, we've been arguing so much. It wouldn't be that bad if. This summer... I, 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 was, I, I was away at camp and I was spending time with a handful of guys and 
Uh, Dr. Bramer was the guy who was speaking. He's one of the professors at Dallas Theological, and he was coming and sharing the word with us while we were there. And he said, as a pastor, he decided one day to make a list of every negative consequence of him falling into a, a, a sexual marital affair. And he said he thought it was just going to be a list of a handful of things. It would probably lead to divorce. This would happen with my kids. This would happen with my grandkids. This would happen with my job. He said, it blew me away how long the list got. And that volume of difficulty starts with the sliver of separation that we feel from God when we allow that one little nagging inkling of a sin into our hearts and into our minds. It always starts small. You see, Sarah looked down at her body and said, how is this thing supposed to happen? I don't want to be graphic here, but she had stopped the way of women. This, how is this supposed to play out? Abraham's 99 years old. Which on a less serious note, is maybe an encouragement for some of us who, as we age, think that intimacy is something that goes off to the side. May I submit to you that God said, you shall have a son, and did not say, I'll take care of this from here. He said, that's y'all's job, okay? Are y'all picking up on what I'm saying here? 99 and 89, intimacy is something that ought to continue to grow. And we, we could look at this and we could see Sarah looking down, but the Lord looks up. Think about when Jesus is standing with the disciples and the disciples say, look at all these people. Jesus, you got to send them away so that they can find something to eat. And Jesus turns to them and what does he say? You feed them. Uh, and then what do they do? They look down. And they see a few pieces of bread and a few fish. And they say, this is impossible. We can't do it. This isn't going to work. And if you look in the text, the, the next few verses say, and Jesus looked up. He looked up to God. What is too hard for God? Certainly not feeding a multitude, uh, multitude. Do you look down when it comes to your marriage and its struggles? Or do you look up? Do you look down when it comes to lust or your image or your identity when it comes to the way that you spend your time, when it comes to your ability and desire to evangelize? Do you look down during those things or do you look up the way that God calls us to look heavenward? Because God looks at Sarah, the Lord looks at Sarah and says, look up. Verse 13. I don't know if y'all picked up on this. This is my favorite part of the whole chapter, actually. Um, I, I like um, talking about men leading. It's kind of one of my big things. Um, and, and so I love this because in verse 13, it says, the Lord said to Abraham. Now, I don't know if you picked up how this played out. Abraham's sitting here. Imagine a tent behind me, Sarah there. The Lord says, you're going to have a kid. Sarah laughs to herself, the text says. Well, the Lord knows it, and then who does he respond to? Who does he look to? Sarah laughs, and the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? What? I didn't even know she did laugh. Are you, are you laughing? This is the Lord. Well, I know I haven't let you out, but we needed bread. Abraham doesn't, he, he's like, whoa, what just happened? I just want to be in your presence, spending time with you. And now you're yelling at me. I didn't know she laughed. And we could look and we could say, oh, poor Abraham. How unfair. Abraham has had 24 years to preach God's promises to his wife. And we can look at it and we could say, well, it's been 24 years. It would make sense for her to dismay, for her to be hopeless 
But I would submit to you that rather what God's word would tell us is he's had 24 years to make very obvious to her that this is a promise that is going to be fulfilled. Not only that, in Genesis chapter 17, he just reconfirmed the promise. Well, how long ago was that, Will? I don't know exactly, but I can tell you this. God just reconfirmed, I think two verses before in Genesis chapter 17, he says, you will have a son. And then in Genesis 18, he's talking to him about it. And Sarah's laughing and God's getting on to Abraham for the fact that she's laughing. Well, how much time passed that God just reconfirmed his promise to Abraham? Did he have time to tell Sarah? Maybe there wasn't enough time for him to shepherd his wife. Maybe they hadn't hit their devotional time in the tent yet where they're sitting down and he opens his Bible and the children, which would be, gather around. Ishmael gathers around. And then maybe, maybe there hasn't been time. This is where I think being analytical is important when we look at the Bible. Getting a 99-year-old man to hop up and run is a near miracle, okay? Let's agree. It's impressive. I, I, I was talking with a guy this week who's not here. I can't remember who it was. Um, he was saying, I'm not going to be here Sunday because my grandmother's turning 100. And I was like, that is awesome. Please go. That's incredible. That's incredible. That's a near miracle to get the 99-year-old dude up and running. May I submit to you that it's much more impressive if he's just been circumcised? Did you think about this? If Abraham has just been circumcised, can I submit to you that it would be maybe a top five miracle for the recently circumcised 99-year-old man to pop up in the heat of the day and start running laps back and forth between people? Now, why do I bring this up? Because I think it can cause, I think it shows us that some time has passed since God reconfirmed that promise. Plenty of time for Abraham to sit with his wife and encourage her and say, I know it's been 24 years and I know that you're beyond your childbearing years, but listen to what God has told us. Believe. Don't stop. Just continue and push in and have faith. He's just told me this. It's coming. But instead, it seems as though he neglected to do so. Men, God always looks to you first. He always looks to men to be the shepherds of their families. Whether you have kids or no kids, a wife, he is looking to you to shepherd that family. But this is what happens when men don't preach God's promises to their families. They're blindsided and they're hopeless. Men, it is not your wife's job to train up your children in the love and the admonition of the Lord. They should play a role. You should be leading that. It is not your wife's job to mobilize the family to get them here on Sunday morning. That's your job. The days of believing that providing food, clothing, and shelter has checked off your list, your duty as a man is gone and really never existed. One day, you will stand before God and he will hold you accountable for the way that you did or did not shepherd your family. And on that day, you will either say, thank you for bringing this up that I could get my life in gear. Or you will say, why didn't I listen? I am so ashamed. It is not your wife's job. And yet culturally, that's what we see. Let, let me just tell you what that looks like in my world. So it's not hard. It's not a difficult thing. Neither is having margin in your life. It's just a matter of being dedicated to something. It's a matter of being devoted to something. It looks like me opening up a kid's Bible story and reading it to my children. It, it, it's me realizing that it's okay if they squirm and occasionally one bites the other, right? That's, that's a teaching opportunity, right? It, it does not have to be, I've got to get in my study and I've got to have this. I'm sitting with my kids with my Bible on my lap and I'm reading them a simple Bible story and I try to make Jesus the most fun part of their day. And I fail at this. But we act the story out or we sing a song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. We, we, we do all these things because God's going to look to me one day and he's going to say, Elistad Ames, Karen Ann, 
Let's talk about how that went. And I want to be able to say that though I fail time and time again, I was devoted to trying to shepherd my family well. I don't want to get there and hang my head in shame. Usually it also includes a coachman. I think that's an important part. They, they ran some statistics. And uh, I think this may have been something focused on the family did years ago. And they say that if a child in the family is the first to respond to the gospel, there's a 3 to 5% chance that the rest of the family will follow. The child's the first. If the mother is the first to respond to the gospel, there's about a 17% chance, 1 in 5 chance, the rest of the family will follow. If it's the dad, it's over 90%. Because God built us to lead. It's what we're made for. I heard it said like this, men are like trucks. They travel smoother with a load. And I think it's true. We weren't built to offload burden. Men, we were built to onload burden. That the lives of our wives and our children may be easier. I'm going to read this last part all in one sitting. Because this is a conversation that, Jesus, that the Lord has with Abraham. And it just flows. So let me read this. Then the men set out from there and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way as the good servant that he was. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, just like I've been promising him year after year after year? Verse 19. Look at the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man slamming together in this verse. For I have chosen him. Why? So that he may command his children and his household. Men, that's what we do. That they would keep the way of the Lord. That they would be righteous and just. Why is he doing this? Why is he being responsible and his family? So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. I want to bring this promise to fruition, but you've got to lead your family. And I'm going to see fit that you do lead your family. I'm going to empower you to do it because this is my promise and it will come true because I am God. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. Verse 21, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Next week, you'll see what that is incredible depravity and sexual sin. So far so that I believe later on in Genesis, it is referred to as great sin. This is akin, this word outcry, to when Abel's blood cried out to the Lord. See, God knows when injustice is happening and sin is occurring. So the men turned from there, verse 22, and they went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord because he wants to be in the presence of his Lord. And Abraham drew near. Now he's walking closer. And now he's getting a step braver. And he speaks and he says, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Easy, Abraham. Talking to the Lord here. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that are in it? This takes guts to say to the Lord, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare is the wicked. Exclamation points, far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? It is incredible to me that Abraham feels comfortable accusing the Lord. Now, in a minute, we're going to see that his heart is humble as he continues to accuse the Lord. But I think this is incredible. It makes me think of when people protest the military. And all I can think is, the only reason you have freedom to protest is because they're doing what they're doing. The only reason that Abraham can speak boldly to the Lord is because the Lord has already covered for his sins on the cross. Do you see that? If that had not happened, Abraham would be gone. But Jesus makes a way so that Abraham can be so intimate with his God, with his Lord, that he can say whatever's on his heart, mind, and soul. That is awesome. 
that you and your prayer life, that you and your study need not worry about the thoughts and, and the things that go through your heart. Certainly, hold them accountable to the word of God. But you're not hiding anything from God when you're questioning him. Just question. God, what are you doing here? Are you just? I feel like I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be and still everything's jacked up. Where are you? That is a legitimate prayer of a believer in Christ. Abraham answered and said, oh, I'm sorry, verse 26, and the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. I, who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the 50 are righteous, uh, five of the 50 righteous. What if there's 45? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. So Abraham continues to push. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. For the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose there are 30. I won't wipe away the city if there are 30 righteous. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there, including my nephew Lot, his family. For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. While Abraham is talking about the righteous, he's pleading for a fallen city. I don't know that I have that heart for the fallen in my city. Sometimes I think we find that it would be easier if that just evaporated and God dealt with it now and we went home to be with the Lord. But Abraham has an incredible heart for those people. Incredible heart. And dealing with judgment and evil is always hard for us. I remember being at a party when somebody said to me, I just don't believe that my God would send my Jewish friend to hell. Well, so be it, but your God is not my God and your God is not the true God of Scripture. We're not helping God when we minimize hell and judgment. We're hamstringing his message. Hell actually leads to worship. Because when we see what we've actually deserved, that becomes more and more beautiful. If you don't feel like your debt was great, your worship will not be great. If you feel like your debt to God was small, your worship to God will be small. Understanding judgment and wrath and evil leads us to worship the one who has rescued us from a righteous judgment and wrath. And we have that in Christ. We have that in the one who is willing to go as far as the cross and back that he would have an intimate relationship with his people. Do you have an intimate relationship with him? Because he is seeking you. For those of you who have walked with him a long time and it's become stale, God's word would say, that's not on God, that's on you. Get some margin in your life that you can seek him out fresh. For those of you that have never responded to the gospel, it's God saying, do you not see how far I have come that we could be in relationship with one another? That's why my son was on the cross for your sin, that the wrath that you deserved would be on him, that you and I could be in the presence of one another. We're about to have communion as I close this in prayer and Wayne's going to come up and lead us. Communion is a family meal. It's for those who have responded to the gospel. It's for those who have sought that intimate relationship with Christ through the blood of Jesus on the cross. If you have not done that, 
We're not trying to exclude you from anything that Scripture doesn't exclude you from. But this is a meal for family. If today you realize that you don't have that relationship with the Lord and you desire it, then I would encourage you to come and find a pastor, somebody that you know has been walking with the Lord, and pray with them and then feel free to receive. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness to us in your word. And Father, as we have plowed through really quite a long passage of Scripture, may we continue to desire the intimacy that you desire to have with us. Oh God, may we seek you out fresh and new. And Father, I just, I just plead over the truth of your Son who sought to have a relationship with us. May those small slivers of sin that we think can cause such great separation as though God does not know what is truly on our hearts and on our minds, may that fall to the side that we may see who you truly are. That we may know our need for a Savior. And Father, may we respond accordingly. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.